0: Hey everyone, what is going on? Welcome to Unrestricted. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. Once again, I hope everybody had a great week. My special guest this week really doesn't need any introduction. I think whether you're a football fan or not a football fan, you have known of this name for a long time. His name's Brett Favre. He played 20 years in the National Football League, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He and I were teammates from 2009 and 2010, only two short seasons, but as you hear in this podcast, a very, very memorable two seasons for the both of us uh, for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, Brett was just classic Brett. You know, he was just ripping and and, um, and having fun in this conversation. We talked a lot about some stuff that I didn't really know about his his first year in Atlanta with the Falcons. Um, we do talk about that, his transition and his trade from the Falcons to the Packers, some things there that I didn't know. Uh, also he talks a lot about Deion Sanders and I had no idea that he and Dion were, were so close and would talk all the time. And there may be an interest because of Dion for Brett to get into the coaching world, uh, specifically maybe right there in his hometown at University of Southern Miss, uh, his his old alma mater as well. But look, um, I I hope you guys just really enjoy this conversation with Brett. I certainly did. We talked a lot about football, a lot about his life, um, sort of the, the struggles and the things that that he thought about in 2009 and 2010 with the Minnesota Vikings. You know, the transition out of Green Bay with the New York Jets and then with the Minnesota Vikings in 2009. It's it's really fascinating stuff. And again, a lot of things that I did not know beforehand. So here he is, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you really enjoy the conversation that I had with the legend that is Brett Favre right here on Unrestricted. What's up, Brett, man? How you doing?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having me. Long time, no see.
0: Long time, no see. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. I know you're obviously a man of busy, busy lifestyle, but um, please tell everybody what you've been up to right now. I mean, I'm I'm figuring that I'm figuring you're watching some football. You're doing a little hunting, which we talked about off air, but um, I know that you enjoyed this hanging out in your land and, and pushing things around. Yeah,
1: which is probably something I'll do today. We got rained out yesterday. Um j- as you know, and just said I just got back from uh from a, a week long hunting trip. Uh, me and my brother and a couple of couple of guys, the same guys, go every year. We go three or four different places. We we end up killing time, as my wife says, she goes, You never bring anything home. I'm like, I'm selective. But we we enjoy ourselves and uh, contrary to what most people uh, think or believe i you know I, I have people say all the time oh you said so, i know you're such a busy. in fact i just recorded a little congrats to local they're called midget gold little oak grove is a community i live in and they're eight nine-year-olds one like before state championship. I didn't even know they had state championships. I mean, it's you know, for that age. Yeah, they won it. And I just recorded the video for them. And the guy that asked me to record it said, man, I know you you swamped. And I said, really, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I could be. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm 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 not a business guy. I don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to be going nine to five. Uh, my property keeps me busy. Yeah, I watch a little football, <clears throat> probably less than what people would assume. I catch bits and pieces. I do a radio show, with um, NFL series radio. So you would think that I'm inundated with TVs watching. In fact, I was listening to you, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, my daughter had a fall beach. Uh, she plays beach volleyball for Southern Miss, and there's are seasons in the spring, but they were, they play a fall schedule. They had a, a day tournament in New Orleans. So in between her games, I'd go listen to the Minnesota game, and it was a hell of a game, but I was listening to you on the sideline. Uh, I was, I'd go from the car. I'd go back. And that, that's really, I'm trying to think who it was. I think we won, but it was.
0: Was it the Chargers game? No. No. Well, wasn't the, was it the Packers it, it was at
1: home, obviously. Uh, was it the Packer game? It may have been the Packer game. Was that like three weeks ago?
0: Yeah, a couple, yeah. A couple, two, yeah. three weeks ago, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, you'd think I'd remember it was a Packer game, but I just remember, you know, I, I'd go run out in the car and it's like, okay, how much has changed as the tides turned? And, yeah, it, you know, it was back and forth, but, uh, but we, we got the victory. So uh, that was probably about as much football as I've, like kind of immerse myself in at one particular time. Like I didn't watch any of the Monday night game, which it sounds like it was a disaster with the weather last night. Yeah, um, You obviously, you, I you mean, you're, you're working it, which would kind of be fun. I think sideline.
0: It is fun. It is work. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's all perspective, right? I mean, is it work? Yes, it's work. Good news
1: is. Is, is, you don't have to do it. And when you don't have to do something, but choose to do it, yeah, it's a little more enjoyable. Enjoyable.
0: It is. Yeah, it is a little more enjoyable. But you know, I look at the guys on the field. I'm like, well, that's that's real work. I'm just talking into a microphone. That's that ain't shit. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it, it keeps me busy and it's fun. You know, I the thing that I like, I think the most about it is you still feel that connectivity of to a, to a team. You know, versus just being like. You know, if you're just a, a casual fan, or if you're an analyst for the NFL, you're like you're kind of wa- you're watching a ton of tape and you're watching a lot of games, but you don't have that emotional connection, right. and and to be like tied into the team where you're like, you know, you really really want them to succeed and you're you kind of feel all the losses too. I like that. You know, it kind of makes yeah. you feel like, look, I look, I don't want to be a player anymore. I don't. I certainly don't don't have the desire to put all the time in to be a coach. So this is kind of like the next best thing to feel connected. Without uh, you know grinding away every day working with the team.
1: yeah, I come sort of the same way with that radio show. It's like uh, my my good buddy, John Gruden when, when before he went back into coaching And he was coaching receivers, so yeah, you know, we do go way back. <clears throat> We've remained friends throughout, but uh. And he did a great job on Monday Night Football. And, you know, I text him from time to time and said, Man, I'd love to see you back in coaching. You. you know, I, you do a wonderful job on TV. Great job. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd i love to see you coach again. And he goes, Man, the next day, I'm not worried about who turned the ball over more, who had more penalties. Um, you know, I call a game, I study, I put a lot of work into it, um, I, I enjoy the the reward of it. And at the end of the day, whoever wins, whoever loses, I really don't care. Uh, which, so staying connected to a certain degree, I'm uh, like you, you know, a part of me would want to coach. And people ask me all the time. I, I coached two years of high school when I, when I came home. And people were like, high school? I went to practice like at 2.15, 5, 10-minute drive down the road. And at 5.15, I was on my way home. And that was it. You know, we didn't have to stay and grind o- over film and see who can stay in the building the longest. Um, yeah. And and it was a group, and really more than anything, it was a great group of kids, but it, uh, at an unaffected level. What I mean by that, money, uh, you know, the fame, all that stuff. To me, pro football, you're more managing egos and, you know, some guys make a lot of money and are reluctant to listen to you, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, it happens all the time.
1: And I don't know if I can deal with it.
0: No. How did you, how did you find the balance between like taking all of your knowledge from everything that you've done and apply it to high school kids? Like, did you find that super challenging to oh, it was, just it to was, communicate?
1: I, 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 coaching my dad coached for 40 years, you, you know, and not that I gained any coaching knowledge, because as you know, growing up, the last person you listen to is, is your parents or any adult for that matter. It's usually you're thinking about girls. You're thinking about what you're doing this summer or whatever. And so the last thing you're doing is studying. Okay. This is, this is how to, or how not to coach. Um, so really when I got into coaching, um, being around the game for so long in coaches, I don't know if I necessarily, I probably picked up a little bit of, uh, a little what what to and not to do, but when I I really thought that it was going to be easier coaching these kids because it's high school level, and I found it to be harder in some respects and maybe more fun in others. Again, the the unaffected you know the raw you see tremendous ability potential that this guy this guy could be a you know a pro football player, but there is a lot. to to, you know to happen between now and then and decisions that he makes being lucky to a certain degree it plays a part in it but this guy has potential um and then seeing the guys that had tremendous potential but most people didn't see it you know the obvious ones were obvious and we won a state championship we had 11 kids over the two years go division one uh they're really good but you know, like my, my, I was offense coordinator and I, I kind of got immersed in my first day. I mean, I was like wanting to coach Lyman and we had a coach for every position, uh, which is when I was growing up, that was, that would have been a miracle. So I wanted to do everything. I was going over to receivers. I was going to the offensive line and running backs and obviously quarterbacks, but like, the, the very first day, I, this is one of the stories I tell, probably the story I tell everyone when I talk about college, my high school coaching day. So the night before, uh, I kind of worked on a little mini playbook. And when I say mini, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a man of uh, – I'm better off just kind of winging it. <laughs> no <know>. kidding. <laughs> so I, I had like three pieces of paper. Didn't even staple them. I had like three pieces of paper. And I, I sort of used what they had been doing. So to the average Joe who went to the games prior to me coaching and and while I was coaching, it looked the same. And what I wanted to do was simplify it. I, they, they did a spread offense, you know, the, the latest and greatest and all that stuff, which was but when you when you knelt on the ball, they did it from shotgun. And I, I, I you know, I'm like,
0: you're I, talking I, like they, like a they big never went under team. center. They never went
1: under center. Never. They still don't. Uh, And a lot of these teams do that. I mean, they don't go in the center, college and high school that is. So I had like three pages of of plays and some of them like were the same, but just a different formation. And I said, look, I'm telling Deanna, I said, I don't know if I got a lot, you know, I'm kind of excited, but I don't know if I got enough juice in the tank. I'm kind of burnt out in football. She said, Oh, you'll, you'll find it. So sure enough, the next day, I meet with all the offensive guys, skilled guys right on the field right after we stretch. And I said, uh, all right, I'm going to make this very simple. And some of the kids already knew this because we did some, some summer work. But I said, look, all my Zs, who's, who, how many Zs do I have? You know, kids raise a hand. I said, I want you over here. I said, I'm going to make it simple. on you. You're always on the right-hand side on the numbers. I don't want you switching. I said, you're always on the right side on the numbers, middle of the numbers, be safe. X's, same thing. You're always on the left on the numbers. So there's this kid in the back over there with the Z's and he's raising his hand. And finally I said, son, you got a question? He said, yes, sir, coach. He said, you know, I'm a Z. And I get that I'm on the right-hand side on the numbers. I said, all right, what's your question? He said, well, what happens when we switch sides? And I was like, (laughs) and I, I honestly was stumped. I was like, what do you mean switching sides? You know, like he goes, well, okay, we're going this way, coach. And then the quarter's over and we turn around and go the other way. I said, yeah, where'd I line up? I'm like, dude, right-hand side. So I just turned around and I'm like, that's the right-hand side. He's like, oh, okay. I'm like, this is going to be a lot tougher than I thought. <laughs> and, and, and it was, but when you, the reward was, and I loved it. Um, the reward was, like, one of our good receivers, they ended up going to Cal and playing all four years at Cal, which is pretty good from South Mississippi.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I could tell the kid had tremendous potential, but he'd never been taught how to set a, a DB up. So, like, if you want to go inside, you get his hips turned the other way and be patient. I said, you know, some of the greatest coaches all said, speed is your worst enemy. If you don't know how to use it, you just want to run fast on a route
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than be Steve larger or great route runners. you set guys up and get them turned around. You just want to run in there and, and it, it was like beating a dead horse. And then finally you see it happen and it was like, yes. And they come over, you know, they give you a big hug coach. I did it. You know, you don't get that really in pro football. You don't, in some cases you don't get in college. So, um, I, I loved it, but to, to your question, I feel like that there's so much knowledge up in my head, and I don't, I don't, I don't ever think that uh, if I don't coach that I'm wasting it all. But I do think about that sometimes. Like, in order to expand and, and teach these kids, I have to move up to the next level at least. Maybe not so much pro.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that being said, would I coach college? I don't know. I mean, I I, don't, I like my free time. I like to kind of, you know, wing it. Yeah. So you know, I've, I've said this. The Southern Miss is about nine miles down the road, and uh, of course, that's where I played. Uh, we're we're just we've kind of just gone. We went from when I played, we beat Florida State, we beat Alabama, we beat Auburn all in the same year. We beat Louisville. We beat Virginia Tech. We beat all these Memphis teams that now are like way bigger and better than us. And right. We can't. And I'm like, I feel like I could help. So if I ever did coach, it would be a Southern Miss. And, yeah. You know, will that happen? I don't know. But but I, but I feel like you know, as as the the level of talent goes up the ladder again, not pro. You can expand a little bit you can you can be a little more creative with your playbook and, and the stuff that i had high school you only have a couple hours with them you don't yeah. have a, you know enormous film studies and and classroom stuff but um i do feel like i if i don't do it at some point I, that you know it, it'd be a shame that i didn't get to to because i i'm my coaching and teaching would be different than most coaches I, i'm more Again, like a wing it type, but like making something up on the fly. Not that I want to coach that way, but it's like, you see something, you can do it. You right. know? Um, and I did that with, with you guys, you know, I, 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 threw a bubble. I just sort of made it up. I had Percy in the slot. We ran an outside zone to his side. I'm like, run a bubble because if they don't cover you, I'm not going to hand it off. I'm going to throw it to you. And, you with the ball is pretty good.
0: Yeah, he's pretty damn dynamic with the ball in his hands. Just so uh, you know,
1: you, you know, just and that's like a no brainer. It's like, why didn't we think of that before? Yeah, you know, so that's kind of how I
0: coach. Are you someone who deals with chronic soreness? Maybe it's sore and achy joints from an old injury, or you're an active person who pushes their bodies, or maybe it's age related arthritis. Whatever the cause, I have the solution for you. It's called IASO I A. SO and it's a revolutionary therapy device that uses 100-year-old scientifically proven cold laser technology. This South Korean wonder device is the only cold laser device that can be used at home and hands-free. Most of the time you have to go to some sort of hospital or clinic to get this type of treatment, because of the size of the machine. But EASO has engineered this potent light therapy into a device that fits into the palm of your hand. I use my devices all the time on my arthritic knee and my bulging disc in my neck with relieving results. And guess what? It's all done. Pain free. Go to wellscare.net or bestbuy.com. That's wellscare.net or best to purchase and start enjoying your life pain-free with Easso. Have you talked to Dion at all? How does how all the does, time? How does time. how does Dion? I don't know how he manages his time, being a head coach at Jackson State, which they just won their conference title. Um, I still see him doing some stuff on NFL Network, I believe. Yeah
1: he's doing commercials
0: he's doing commercials I mean there's got to be a way that you could you could be involved not even as a head coach but even as just like a you know even if you're a quarterback coach or OC if uh, do it if, if Dion can do it like that I'm sure they'd give you that grace as well as like yeah I'm gonna put it I'm gonna put in about five hours today I'm gonna be good it's funny you,
1: you mentioned Dion so he and I I didn't play but I was on the Atlanta team my rookie year Dion was right in the in the, I mean, the thick of prime time, mm-hmm. more so with just everything he was doing, like right after football practice, a helicopter would pick him up. And by the time I got home, he was still in second in the world series, you know? So I got to witness it, uh, as it was happening, but Dion and I have remained friends. He, he, for whatever reason, took me under his wing from day one. So when he got the job or was getting the job, uh, I was basically recruiting his son to come play quarterback at Southern Miss, he came on a recruiting trip, great kid, um, and, a, and a hell of a quarterback. And at the time, Dion was not – he was the offense coordinator, at the, uh, I think it's Trinity, whatever, in, in Fort Worth. So our coach steps down after the first game two years ago. And the, the following fall would be Shadur, his son's uh, freshman year. So we were, were recruiting. So when the job opened up, like, I mean, like that, that night, the coach resigned after the first game. So I, the next day I, I called Dion and said, Hey, would you be interested in coaching at Southern Miss? And he's like, why? I said, uh, our coach stepped down. He's like, are you kidding me? Where'd I sign up? I, I, I'll i do it right now.
0: Ooh.
1: And he, he had actually accepted the Jackson state job, but he had not signed the contract at the time. And he said, you know, something has to happen before I sign the contract, which was late October. And um, I tried to get our our organization over here to get their ducks in a row and and at least interviewing. And they chose to go in a different direction, pissed me off. And uh, so when Dion officially made it, uh a, a done deal he's texts me hey i need some names i mean dion's doing it right he's like i need some people in jackson who can get stuff done yeah. so i gave him four or five people that uh i, I knew uh, former governor a senator uh, a good buddy of mine who's brothers with the, the governor and just people who could, who could you know get whatever he needed i mean because resources were I knew that he was going to do something great there, and that's what he's doing. He hasn't asked me to coach, which I, I'm i glad he hasn't because, you know, it's hard to say no, but I'm not ready. You know, yeah. it's one of those things. Yeah. I, I like helping from the fringes. But uh, everybody down here knows about him potentially being our coach at one time, and they're like, can you – I mean, we blew it. And I like yeah. our, our coach that we have now, but the 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 things that Dion. Can bring to any school, more so a school that's kind of floundering. We struggle with getting people to see. We average probably nine to twelve thousand people for a game, and that was when I played too. So that hasn't changed. They complain that we we don't play anybody, so that's why we don't go to games. My freshman year, my 18th birthday, I'm starting at Southern Miss, and we play the number one team in the country, who was Florida State and Dion, in Hattiesburg. We got 21,000 people for the game. So my point is, you can make that argument, but we play the number one team in the country. You could at least come watch them. Right. So, But the things that Dion can bring to the table, no one can do it. And that's excitement. Recruits. He had the 18th best recruiting class in the country this past year at yeah. Jackson State. I mean, come on. So – yeah, there ain't many coaches can do that. It, it, you know, Nick Saban came to Southern Miss. I doubt he 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 can do the same. He might be a better coach presently because of right. his experience. Right. But he's not going to bring the recruits. He's not going to bring the excitement.
0: Um, but you know, our loss. How do you think that he does his, he, he manages his time though. Have, have you talked to him about that? Like, is he is he doing what? You know what stereotypically we think that college coaches are doing, they're you know they're up early, making sure they get a lot of these programs now do all their workouts in the morning. But however he organizes his day is he in his office till eleven o'clock at night, man in his desk? like yes and no.
1: he uh, he's everywhere. You, you know he just had a recent surgery, which man it, it almost lost his life over re routine foot surgery. Had like some, you know, I don't know if it was turf toe, but some issues from playing, just like we all do. Went in for a routine surgery, came out, didn't know it, but he had blood clots. Ended up losing two toes. He's he's going through extensive rehab. May have to do some prosthetic deals, but he was it was touch and go for like 24 hours. Mm. If you follow him on Instagram, he's on. A, he's got this souped up chair that he goes everywhere with so right now he's kind of but he's wide open you know he he's meeting with people that i either i give him names that they, they, they meet for lunch They're he's got uh, two of his kids starting for him one's a db one's a quarterback uh, but he's but he's so much different than what the perception of dion is i mean he, yeah he marketed himself he's a genius but he cares about the kids, and and I think that's probably the most revealing thing to me because I see it firsthand. It's an hour away from me, but uh, we get all the news, and he cares about these kids, uh, and and so he's devoting all his time. I mean, he looked like the summer. He's like, man, I gotta tell me some good fishing holes. Now I'm like, if I tell him a good fishing hole, has got, I got, it's got to wait. He calls me country. Country you just gotta wait. I got I got business I gotta tend to. Um, so he he manages it. Uh, only the only way Dion can or anyone yeah. can.
0: He, yeah, he,
1: he does it with I mean, wide open. I love love it.
0: Is he the only one that calls you country?
1: Some guys like on Atlantis team kind of followed up. He gave me the name Country Time. We had Showtime, which was Andre. Did. We had prime time, and he said, you country time. He went out, <clears throat> and I've t- told so many people this. My, my uh, rookie year, I went to Falcons. Dion takes me under his wing. I, I gained 25 pounds. I'm drinking beer, eating hot wings like it's going out of style. Uh, I was raw if I ever was raw. Uh, all I knew was I could outthrow anybody. Right. And, Come on, bring them on. I didn't care about anything else. Dion was like. Country, I'm going to take you and get you some clothes. The flannel shirt and the blue jeans just ain't gonna cut it. So he took me and bought me this whole like just wardrobe of clothes, jewelry, shoes,
0: dress jewelry. shoes jewelry. Wait a minute, jewelry, watches, and
1: and and uh, like bracelets. And the only thing that I wore, and he he laughs about this this day. The only thing that I wore was some like blue, uh, I sound like Elvis, blue suede shoes. That, uh that kind of went with my jeans those those suits sat in my closet for like 15 years it never were worn I didn't know how to tie a tie I uh, still don't
0: <laughs> come on
1: no and he said you know you are better off being country that's who you are you know and he said I tried I tried but I, I didn't succeed but uh, I you know my, that year in Atlanta was sort of a waste for me. But I'm so thankful for that year for, for Deion, but also it got me to Green Bay. I, I right. did everything wrong to, to get on a field, whether it be Atlanta or anywhere else, but yet I got traded. I was drafted in the second round, got traded for a first-round pick, never played, put on 25 pounds, missed the team pitcher. I don't know if I ever even mentioned that to you guys. I missed the team pitcher my rookie year. Doing what? Uh, I had a little bit too much fun the night before. Yeah, yeah. and slept in. and pull, pulled into the parking lot. I knew I was I was in trouble when I pull in the parking lot in Suwanee, Georgia. Jerry Glanville is leaving out. He had a van, and his wife and his son were in the van with him. And I, I rolled down the window, and he's like, "Where were you?" And I said, "Well, there was a wreck, which was." partly true. The wreck was me. I asked what he said. He <laughs> goes, yeah, Rick. you are a wreck. Uh, and so I was, I got fined as I should have. And I got shipped off for a first round pick. I mean, who, who does that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so your, your first year in Atlanta, was, it was like a, it's like a red shirt year. Yeah. You, you took like a red, a red shirt college year in the NFL.
1: Yeah. You know, we, I, of course, I didn't know a good team from a bad team. I knew who Dion was. And Atlanta had a lot of good players, but they hadn't had success. So they go to the, that year I was there. Chris Miller plays lights out, who I think he was in year seven or eight. He was kind of streaky, had tremendous potential. I didn't know that until I got there with him, but he was a little bit injury prone. Not great guy, but not very tough. But I think the fact that they drafted me in the second round motivated him. He played lights out. We went to the playoffs, the second round of the playoffs. We had MC Hammer on the sidelines. We had every country star you can name on the side, it, Evander Holyfield. I mean, it was crazy. And uh, I mean, I was just kind of like, man, this is the wildest thing. And we get off the team bus at, at a away hotel and no one could get off until Jerry with his bodyguards mm. escorted him up to the elevator and up to his room. It's like, no one cares, Jerry. They, they want to yes, see Dion, yeah. they want to yeah. see Andre. Um, but it was, a, it was a, I wouldn't change it for anything because we know the end result. Um, yeah, my the greatest thing about Atlanta was it got me to Green Bay. Um, uh, I wouldn't recommend choosing the path that I did because most of the time it, it's the opposite, you get yeah. shipped off somewhere else and you never heard of again.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. And the thing is it was really out of your control. I mean, you got, you got traded. It's not like they can, they came to you in the locker room. Like, Hey, what do you think about this? And you're like, ah, I'm going to, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. No, you're just gone. Yeah. You know, and that was,
1: I remember the guy, I got a call first from June Jones, who's my quarterback coach really liked him thought a lot of him. He actually spent a lot of extra time with me throwing certain balls. I mean, I, one thing I could do was throw it long ways and throw it hard. And mm. and I didn't really care about touch. I didn't really care. I was accurate, but no one knew it. I could throw a touch ball, but I knew that throwing a rocket ball that would bounce off someone's face mask got more attention. Right. Uh, which which is stupid, but I would I'd be more apt to throw, even though I knew the slant in the coverage, you, you don't want to knock him down, but you wanna you wanna give him something you can catch. I would just boom, it bounced off the helmet go 30 yards people like holy shit
0: and that, you know i kind
1: of got a kick out of that well I, I certainly wasn't helping myself to get on the field
0: right um but
1: june would spend a lot of time watching film and, and, and on the field stuff and so he called me and said hey man we traded you i was like you know i, I didn't know I, I vaguely can remember that moment but i was like I don't know if this is a good saying to myself. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. You know, right. yeah. traded. I mean, do you don't want me? Now I didn't say any of this. I, it was, and he said it's a great opportunity. And then my eyes lit up. He said, "Look, we you know we trade you for a first round pick, so you're going to get an opportunity to play um, more so than here. You know, yeah. Chris stays healthy. He had a great year. Um, that's kind of solidified him for several years to come. So unless he gets hurt." you're probably not going to get in. And he was right. So, you know, when I, when I, it finally dawned on me that I'm basically getting drafted again, but in the first Mm -hmm. round, that's a pretty good thing. And I, I didn't know a lot about green Bay except history. Lo and behold, I got there. It's been 25 years since they've made the playoffs. But, you know, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. All the great players in history. Um, I didn't know where Green Bay was. I knew it was somewhere way up north, and it was cold.
0: Was, <laughs> that's all you need to know. That's all I needed
1: to know. And uh, you know, I never looked back.
0: What did you find was the biggest challenge when you got there? Winning over the team? You know, was it was it the X's and O's? Like because now now you have a different expectation was, because you were you were kind of like you said a first round draft pick.
1: Yeah, so I knew I was going to get more attention. You know, right or wrong. Uh, good or bad, you know, if I was a, another quarterback on the, that had been there a couple of years, I would have been kind of like pissed, like, what, what about me? I can't get an opportunity. So, I, you know, I, I knew that I was going to not get special favors, but, you know, a lot was invested in in me mm-hmm. and a lot was asked of me, which was different than Atlanta. Um, I was drafted in the second round, but Jerry Glanville didn't like me from the get-go. And made it known, and made life miserable on me. And I, I rebelled in a negative way, rather than let it, you know, motivate me to to be the best and be ready to play if need be. I, I did totally the opposite. So when I got to Green Bay, I knew it was different. Ron Wolf stuck his neck out for me. I didn't know who Ron Wolf was when he called me right after June Jones called and said, "Hey, you don't know me, but I I wanted you when I was with the Jets. I wanted to draft you." with our first pick which was the, the pick we didn't have a first round pick our first pick was the pick after you were drafted by Atlanta but I was going to take you we thought you were the best player in the draft I mean all these things I'm mm. like just sticking out and and thinking this is this is this is where I, I needed to be but the, I think the toughest part initially was Mike was, was Mike homer that is was it? was very tough with everyone, but was very tough on me. was hands-on, was uh, demanding of the offense. Like, there was no way I was going to pick it up right away. It was pretty complicated, so I thought. Um, There was a lot of things that the quarterback was asked to do. Now, if you think about it, he left San Francisco and had Joe Montana and Steve Young, so he had two of the greatest and, and most perfected quarterbacks to ever play. They hardly ever made a bad play.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he kind of taught
1: that way and expected that of his quarterback Mikowski was the starter initially, and he would ask me questions and he put me and I studied. But you know, I mean, it was tough. It was like learning a, a foreign language. It, but you got you got to go negotiate a business deal in a week in that foreign language. You know, right? He put me in a scrimmage. He put me in the preseason game. He expected me to call out the fronts. He expected me to make checks if need be. The verbiage was ridiculous. You know, sixteen words: brown left tight close, Z right sprint right solid Z quick drag it was a one man route. And I, all it was it was <laughs> that was goal. a
0: one man route.
1: It was a goal line play, and it was. I always use that as an example because the only two people who did anything was me and Sterling. He he came in motion, went right to the pylon. I sprinted out, threw it to him. I'm like, can we shorten that like Sterling pylon?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was the toughest thing was the verbiage yeah.
1: and the, the, uh, the fact that the offense was pretty complicated.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I love talking to quarterbacks about this stuff. I talked to Rich Gannon on this podcast a few weeks ago, and he's, I asked him to kind of do the same thing. Like, hey, could you you know just give me a huddle call? And he kind of did something very similar. I was like, well, you guys know this. We have a call that's just over two. You know our, yeah. our base cover two. That's all we say. You guys have sixteen words as a defensive player. We have two, and that yeah. tells that tells us everything. Like it's just, it's funny how the details can be so different. Like oh, when we say over, obviously, you just you're going to play in an over front. Wow. We play. We we say cover two. We know every player playing two coverage. Like we know exactly where every corner is going to be, where they're supposed to line up against whatever sixteen word call that you guys had it doesn't matter what you guys line up in we know how to adjust and just cover two it's that simple
1: yeah i'm playing against you guys i mean you, we knew what you were doing
0: well i know that and it sucked because you knew we even talked yeah, but about that
1: you still had to, to execute and i think
0: yeah you, but you but you knew how to manipulate us and that's the thing that drove me crazy that when we played base cover two which you know is going to be you know 30 40 of the game it's not Unless we really, really disguised. Now you mess this up sometimes if you guys went tempo and stuff like that. We couldn't, we couldn't roll our safeties around. But if you got a, a sense that we were in cover two, um, you of all of them. I mean, Aaron did it to a certain extent, but you, you stupid bastard! Like you'd look, you'd look one way and just like watch us as linebackers and safeties just kind of shuffle over and read your eyes, and then you just go right back to the other side and hit the seam. And we tell yeah. our coaches like, well. He, they, you guys knew that we were driven by quarterback eyes in cover two. And so you would just manipulate our eyes the whole time. And we're like, but we're doing what you guys want us to do. And like, ah, just just keep, just keep, we got to get our, we got to get our pass rush there. I'm like, the guy's just messing with us, man. And it sucks. Well, yes
1: and no. I mean, I think if, if we looked at the one loss record that I had against you guys when you were there in Greenway, when y'all were really good, EJ, Jared. Pat and Kevin, Antoine, good defense, man. Really good defense. Um, not, a, not unlike Peanut, Erlacher, Lance mm-hmm. Briggs, Mike Brown. Uh, what was the D lineman? Tommy? Uh, oh, Harris. Yeah. He was a warm sap guy until he got mm-hmm. hurt. And then when we played Tampa, the same deal. Derek Brooks. They had Simeon Rice for a while. They had uh, Barber. You know, they had Sapp. They had Booger McFarlane, They had Lynch. Same thought process and scheme. You, you know, you, I'm sure Monty uh, Kiffin said, "Look, I don't care if they know what we're doing. We're going to be re- we're going to be really sound. And can the quarterback be patient with uh, you know with a pressure that?" he's never seen before by four guys mm-hmm. and when we played you guys in minnesota i mean it was ridiculous i mean you, i didn't have a whole lot of time to manipulate so it was a, it was definitely a chess match and i think that's the beauty of as you age and get ex, ex, more experience uh, the, the 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 pro play in playing you tampa and chicago was i didn't have to study like i didn't have to grind i knew what you were going to do
0: yeah yeah the
1: hard part was i knew that I had to be patient. It was one of those things. Can can he go 16 plays and dump it off and be patient? Maybe he squeezes one in there, but, you know, we'll give him one. You know, they're a good team. He's a good player. Um, but we're going to play exceptionally sound football and, and dare him to beat us with the rush. Uh, and, and it was, for me, it was always tough because I was always impatient. And, right. Uh, and, you know, I, as I – I think I wish I would have been as patient in year two, three, four, five, six, as I was, or more creative or experienced. Of course, who, who doesn't think that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, early on, I just tried to brute strength in, in my career. You know, the first 10 years, it was like, I I know it's cover two. and We got all go. And if I, if I drill one seam or in a hole, it's gonna be, you know, I gotta really, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna right. do it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I got away with it, sometimes I didn't. But um definitely teams like you and in Tampa and Chicago tested my patience.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it, I know it, I know it did work out for us at times, but it was in some of those critical moments, it's like, come on, man, like we gotta, we gotta come up with something else because this is just it, this is too this is too predictable. And you guys could knowing what the mic has to do in cover and cover two, running the, run in the middle of the field with that number three receiver. Like there was just so much about it that we're like, obviously we know what we're supposed to do, but every team in the league knows how to, how to screw over cover two. And so it was only really frustrating. Some of those critical moments, you know, money downs, third downs and stuff like that. And, and they just kind of get flustered. Like, I'll just play cover two. I'm like, why are we playing cover two right now on a money down? Like they know we're going to be in cover two. Like that's, they're just going to dump it off. And if anything, we, we have to be really clean about making tackles. So I liked the system. It was, um, it was simple, but God dang, it was frustrating at the same time.
1: Yeah, it was frustrating playing against you guys because I looked at you and Greenway and EJ, uh, a linebacker core that was, uh, that was me on defense, meaning mm-hmm. um, crafty, you know, uh, talented, but, you know, you were going – it was like he knows I'm, I'm I'm going to look off. You know, it's always – I was always thinking, like, with Erlacher, he knows I'm going to do this, so I'm going to do something different. But then I would say, well, maybe he knows that I'm going to do something different because I know him.
0: Right. And right. you almost
1: overthink things, yeah. you know, rather than just play the scheme. I, I can't tell you how many times I have a coach would say, just read it out. D- don't – but it was impossible. It was like, I know he knows what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to let him think I'm going to do something different. Maybe sometimes you outsmart yourself.
0: Yeah. We are supported by my buddy, Pat Kelly, and his insurance business, Wexford Harbor Insurance. They've been my insurance provider for years, and I can't recommend them enough. I used to be with one of those uh, big box companies, and I just thought all insurance was relatively the same. But it's not. Every family has different needs, whether it's the number of kids or cars, boats, personal items, homes, umbrella protection, Whatever it is, Wexford Harbor can tailor the coverage to you. They will find the best fit and value to save you money, but give you the best protection available. They can do that because they're an independent family-owned company that has access to over 40 different carriers. You're not locked into one company's group of coverage silos. Pat and his partner, Scott Michael Bust, will optimize and craft a personalized insurance package for you and your family. With over 50 years of experience between the two of them, they will give you the attention, service, and value you deserve. And their reach is far and wide, people. They service Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Colorado, and for you snowbirds, Arizona and Florida. Check them out at wexford-harbor.com unrestricted. That's wexford-harbor.com. Harbor, H A R B O U R dot com slash unrestricted, and you can email them at info at wexford-harbor.com. You know you, you just brought up that I think still like like London Fletcher's not getting a lot of respect right now with with the Hall of Fame, which I think is just ridiculous. But Lance Briggs does not get talked about enough, in my opinion. That that dude was a straight. Oh, ball. He was a star. When you stunning. turn, when you put on the film and you're like, yeah, there's Urlacher doing things and like Urlacher was really good about being opportunistic. Like he was always good about at the right time, he'd punch the ball out or he'd get an interception. Like he was, he was a splash play machine. I get that. But Briggs, that dude brought it every single play, man. Yeah. Every uh, play. I, I, he should
1: be in the hall of fame. I, he, he almost scared me more. I think with, with Urlacher, he was like, he could make a pick playing cover two. Down the middle, like any safety, or better than any safety, and you were like he, like they, we played him. My last game as a Packer, we played him in Chicago. We actually went to the championship game and lost to the Giants. But they were, it was like Christmas day or the day before. It was cold than hell. And they, were, and I again, when they were not playing cover two, it was either three or some type of uh, weak or strong dogs. And I knew it was a it was a weak dog, and he was cross trapping. I had a slot to the left. And I knew, and I had to try to squeeze it into—I don't know if, who it was in the slot, but just say a guy like Percy. And I, that was my hot. And I, as soon as I throw it, he reaches out. And he, he, I mean, he—he—I knew he, what he was doing. I mean, they—they kind of cheated, and he knew that I knew. Yeah. But yeah, he got his hand on it and went like seventy for a touchdown, and and it was like I didn't get surprised.
0: Yeah. I mean, I knew
1: he was capable of doing that, but I really thought I could beat him. That's the type of stuff he was good at. He wasn't a real physical guy, um, you know. If you got blocks blockers on him, but, but if you got blockers on Briggs, it was a different story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, maybe Briggs couldn't cover the middle of the field like Erlacher, but he did everything. Well, he was. You, you're right. He he was legit. He Unfortunately, was. at least up to this point, he played on the same field with Erlacher.
0: I know. So one gets
1: all the attention, the other does.
0: Yeah. And that's why I specifically brought him up because I think it's, I think it's unfair that, you know, if you, if you looked at, if you kind of put up the the blank faces and just put the numbers and, or, or if you just even ask the players, ask the play, ask the offensive players, ask the guys that do cross film work, you know, guys in our division that are, you know, we're watching their defense as well. And I'm like, who's the guys that stand out and I'm like, well, yeah. he's one of those guys that, he gets no attention or not, not the attention he deserves. And He's, right. a, hell, he's a hell of a football player for a really long time. Oh, I agree. I agree. I yeah. definitely agree. So, um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the 2009, the 10 season, obviously you're, you're very aware of, of like our team at the time, before you even joined it, but was there truth before 2009 happened? So we were told the rumors were in 2008, During training camp, when you were when you went to the Jets, that because of of Daryl Bevel, that there was a good chance that you were going to join the team in two thousand eight, and and we and we were prepared. We were we were kind of told like, shit, this could happen, and then it didn't happen, and then you you joined us the next year. Like, how much truth was that in two thousand eight that you caught you possibly could have joined the team?
1: Uh, It was it was very true. Had I had my say, or Daryl had his say, uh, we were close friends, had been friends for a long time. So we talked all the time, whether I was still with Green Bay or, or whatever, we just talked. Not Most of it wasn't about football. But when, as I say, the shit hit the fan in Green Bay and mm-hmm. I knew I w- wasn't coming back there, it was how do I get to Minnesota? I, I mean, I wanted to play in an offense that was familiar I wanted to play in an offense or a team that had a shot at Green Bay for, you know, for obvious reasons, but the Green Bay Packer organization knew the same thing. And, you know, you know, so in some respects, they held all the cards, like, you know, you can come back here. And I I was told this, you can come back here and compete for the job or you can be traded or you can just retire. And I said, well, I want to be traded within the the division. That ain't gonna happen. Right. So, according to them, I, there was two teams: Tampa Bay and um, the Jets. And so, I knew in order for me to get to Minnesota, I had to leave and go somewhere. And I didn't know how that was going to play out. You know what? What I, I I knew I was running out of years. Mm-hmm. And and so, would a team trade me? Would it? Would I? If I retire, would well, they cut me loose, which is ultimately what happened? I, uh, Mike Tannenbaum, the, the GM for the Jets at the time, great guy. After that first year, um, I, I needed bicep surgery. Uh, I'm at 39. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go through surgery. But I, wanted, I felt like if I didn't pursue Minnesota, I was always going to regret it. Mm. You know, like – It would have, could have, should have, you know, you know, and I, so I had the surgery and uh, Tannenbaum again, this was after the first year, which I think up until I tore my my bicep, I was playing well, we were nine and three. And then I couldn't hit a bull in the ass with a bass fiddle as my dad would say. And I mean, it was, it it went, it went south in a hurry. And I, I really didn't want to be there. No offense to them. I wanted to be in Minnesota. Yeah. And he said, look, we want you back. You know, given that you do the surgery, you'll be, you know, better than ever. We want you back, but I understand where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you to the draft the day before the draft. And that's I, 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 what I'll reach out to you. And he did. And he said, you want to come back? I said, and he knew where I wanted to go. And it was an awesome conversation. And He said, uh, I understand. I know you don't want to come back here. I'm going to cut you or put you on waivers. He said, "I'm going to catch hell because if you do play, I'm going to catch hell that I didn't get anything for you." Didn't right. you. Uh But go, go do what you're going to do and enjoy yourself. And uh, and so I hit the waiver wire, and the rest was history.
0: So did he know did he know going into that season that this was going to be a gap year for you? Like did he know that that was your motivation to like just Yes and no I
1: yes he did know it but I think he he had hopes that and he did everything right. I really liked him. The organization was great. But it's like one of those things that you 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 want a certain gift as a kid for Christmas, you get a different gift. You're happy. Mm-hmm. But you still want that gift. And so um he knew what, you know, like when he, when I talked to him on the phone prior to signing with, him, he said, I know you want to play Minnesota. I know you want to, you know, play against the Packers, but we got a good thing going here. I'm, I'm compiling a good group of guys that that can help you. Um, we'll do everything in our power to make this work. And he did. But he but he knew that still that was not gonna change my mind. And uh, I was always like, looking at what Minnesota was doing, talking to Daryl all the time. And, and it wasn't collusion, and it wasn't – Daryl was like, you know, if we ever get you before you run out of steam, we, we want you. And, and I knew that. And I knew that I wanted an opportunity to compete against the Packers and, and, and be in our division yet again. And that never wavered. So he, he knew that. Um, and I think he tried his best to, to sway me to the other side. And I, I think he did everything right, but I was not, you know, that was my goal and only goal.
0: Yeah. So, you, so Bev knew immediately when you had that conversation with, with Mike that he's going to put you on waivers. Your first call was basically either agent or Bev, right?
1: Bev will call me, you know, cause I'm not watching the waiver wire, but when yeah. Mike called me, They ended up drafting Mark Sanchez the next day. So, I mean, he said, look, if you're not going to come back, I'm going to draft a quarterback. Yeah. And he was awesome. Mike was awesome. He said, look, I know you never hit the waiver wire before, but it's going to be crazy. You're probably going to get calls from who who knows because you're free. Mm -hmm. The first call I got, like, was five or ten minutes later, it was from Darryl. And then right after that was Chili. And they were like, come on, let's go. What do we got to do? Let's sign. I said, well, I got to have surgery first. Uh, you know, this was obviously right before the draft. So I had some time. They said, well, let's do it. But the third person that called me was funny. It was Dr. Andrews, who had done yep. three surgeries only prior, dating back to 1990, no, excuse me, 1988. So it we went way back. We were, were and still are close friends. And he was like, the third call, he's like, are you coming or what? Come on. I was like, I don't know, doc, you know, man, I'm kind of burnt out. I mean, I, he's like, come on, you got to give it a go. And he knew where yeah. I wanted to go because I talked to him about potential surgery and I, and he was like, just come do the surgery. It's really a simple surgery. If you follow the protocol, you'll be, you'll be as good as you ever were. And so he said, uh, look, you know, and I mean, Daryl was convincing, Chili was convincing, and Dr. Andrews certainly convincing. Um, and I was like, All right, all right, let's do it. So the next week I went and did surgery, and the rest is history.
0: Yeah, man. The rest is history. I still remember it's one of my one of my uh you know most fun memories, I think, of of playing in the NFL was you know, your the fanfare that followed you when you you signed with us. I mean, I remember sitting in the cafeteria, I mean, it's the it's the hovering helicopter at the airport. Princess
1: Diana kind of stuff. It I mean, was. And believe me, I didn't want that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I figured. I just that. wanted
1: to fit in with you guys. And I, I, I hope that you know that.
0: Yeah. Well, we, you we know, you know what's, uh, and I'll be honest with you, um, you know, we'd played against each other a couple of years. Um, actually, I don't think you even knew this, but by my rookie year, I don't know if it was my rookie year, but you played down in San Diego against us. And my first NFL fine was a late hit on you. Um, so I kind of had that feather in my cap. My very first FedEx letter on a Wednesday morning, uh, $5,000 fine for hitting you late. Um, I basically botched the delayed blitz. I came too late and I still wanted to hit you just because I wanted to hit you. Um, so I, I always kind of felt like, oh, cool. I, at least, if, at least if my first NFL fine was against uh, already a legend at the time. But, you know, to be honest with you, we had heard some like negative stuff about you in the locker room. You know the way they're like, oh, he's a premium. The doctor. backers had wanted, one
1: you know, they painted a picture that was made me look bad.
0: Exactly, and I don't know where it came from, but it was like, no, he's he's going to be. They're going to have to find a separate locker for you for him because he's not going to want to hang out with you guys. He's going to do everything on his own. He's not going to be. He's not going to be part of the locker room, and so you know we were hearing some negative stuff. And obviously, you know, with Longwell in the locker room, he was trying to say like, no, nah, that that's, none of that's true, you know, like, and so we were hearing it from both sides. So we didn't really know what to expect. And then, you know, obviously with the television cameras and the helicopter and all this fanfare, but then you came in and, you know, y- you and I were locker mates and, and locker neighbors and like right from the very get-go, I'm like, well, this guy's not exactly who everybody said he was like, he's, he, he jumped right in the locker room you were obviously very charismatic. You had a, you know, very magnetic. And it's like, shit, this guy's the best. Like, it took like a half a day. I'm like, all right, this guy's in. Like, yeah. no, we don't have to worry we know one second about this dude. Yeah. yeah.
1: I was well aware of the picture that Packers had painted. And they did this all out because when, when I, I went back there before I was traded, I started training camp. Oh, wait, right before I go to the Jets. And the fans were outside. We want Brett. They were doing all this stuff. And uh, I had a meeting with Mike uh, McCarthy and Ted Thompson, and it didn't go very well. Mm -hmm. And they're hearing the chants outside the, you know, outside the building. And, I mean, it was crazy. There was people like rallies at our house. We, We lived about half a mile from Lambeau. And I knew the fans wanted me back, but I I was no way going to play for the Packers because of the conversations I had with with them from the time we lost the championship game the previous year to to this moment when I was back in training camp. And they didn't want me, but they knew they were stuck. Mm -hmm. Like if I said, I'm going to play for you guys, there's nothing they could do because the public perception was We want Brett, and that's – so they had to paint a picture when they traded me to make me look bad, and that pissed me off Uh, because I tried to get – when I left there the the last day, the the last thing I said with Mike McCarthy and and Ted was like, look, just let me go, and I'll say it was a mutual thing. They want to move in a different direction. I have no problems with it. In fact, I thank them for my – you know, for my years, and uh, we move on. And, and that would have solved a lot of problems. And they were like, we're not doing that. We'll trade you, but only to these two teams. And so they had to paint a picture that made me look like there was a good reason why they got rid of me. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was an untrue stuff. And, 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 you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you try to fight them, and say, no, I, I am a good teammate. You know, it's like, so I... Again, that was another one of the reasons why I chose to keep playing because I, I wanted to change that that perception. Mm-hmm. The guys that I played with in Green Bay knew, but they couldn't say anything.
0: Right. So
1: uh, it sucked, but in the end, it worked out.
0: Well, isn't that so true, though? And that's kind of, it's kind of true in life. I mean, you, you could get by and have your reputation just be what it is on the field in your production. But, you know, ultimately what you care about is your reputation. And yeah. we, I understand that we all – we're all going to make mistakes in this life, but to put that much time and effort into to your craft and to your locker room and those guys, like, that would piss me off too. Like, yeah. I, I gave I gave my whole body and my whole self to you guys. I try to be the best teammate ever, and then you're trying to slander me on my character and yeah. my, in yeah. my, in my personal reputation. Yeah. I wanna, I'd want to double middle finger them too.
1: Yeah. So, you <laughs> know, when I tell people that I wanted to play the Packers – after knowing what we just talked about, you know, heck, like, I want to play against them. You know what I mean? So I, I had to, it, one of the things I said with and me and McCarthy get along great. now. Uh, I, I talked to him every so often and it was just, it happened. Yeah. You know? But one of the things that Mike and I, it was a heated discussion, more so him. I was just like, you know, just let me go. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can't do that. And I said, so you're saying i I'm not good enough to play for you, but I'm too good to play against you. Mm. Uh, No, I'm not saying that. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just let me go? Because you play in our division. I'm like, exactly.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, that 2009 season, I, you know, I have, I have a moment in my mind, but I don't want to sway your, your opinion and your memories, but when did you, when did you feel like, that our team was a special team that could go all the way. You know, obviously we didn't, I and mean, we came up a little bit short. But was there a, a specific play or a game in your mind that you're like, yeah, we, we got the juice with this team? Well, the first two games to
1: me said a lot, and they, they, were, they were different in a lot of ways. The first game, you know, I'm playing with Adrian with a, you know, a run game that probably I never had a consistent run game. Mm-hmm. and a a running back that's, you know, tops in the league. I didn't know much about Sidney Rice, knew a little bit about Bernard Berry, but again, it was Minnesota at the time. All you thought about and talked about was a run game. Yeah. So went through preseason practice and, and uh, I think a couple of games, you don't really know what, you you knew what your defense was okay, – you guys were all back and you, you kind of knew what you to expect, uh, and you guys were good. But offensively, really didn't know how it was going to fit in. Uh, was I going to be asked to do a lot? or Very little. Um, who's going to be a feature receiver? I mean, there was a lot of uh, unanswered questions. So we go to Cleveland. And I'm 15 for 17. I tell people this Salt Town 15 for 17 for like 145 yards and two touchdowns. Adrian had 180 yards rushing. And I remember thinking, this is going to be awesome. You know, when I throw, which I don't need to, mm-hmm. it's going to be easy. And maybe I don't throw a lot of yards. Maybe I don't throw for a lot of touchdowns, but I didn't care. Uh, I said, this is – I can get used to this. The next week, just opposite. We had 93 plays offensively, and all 93 counted down to the last one. I got hit almost every play. Justin Smith just hit me every play. And lo and behold, here's our first home game with me at quarterback. It's electric. You want it to go smoothly. The previous week went about as easy as it could go, and I'm thinking, this is going to be good. And I entered the huddle with the last drive, and we're down. Mm-hmm. And, and not not only down we need a touchdown we got to go about 80, 85 yards with no timeouts it doesn't get much tougher than that and a lot is expected of me at least that's that was what i had placed upon me I'm like and here's where they this is where they, you know, one of the reasons they got me and that's what i'm telling myself i'm like that being said this is next to impossible you don't go 85 yards with no timeouts Against the defense that that day was, I think they were they were underappreciated at the time. They got they got their their due later on, but they were good. And I remember getting in the hole first play. Anthony Herrera looks over at me and he goes, and you know he was animated. Yeah. I love Anthony, and he goes, number four. This is why we got you. As if I didn't have enough pressure already. Damn,
0: he said that. Yeah, he said, this is why we got
1: you, dog. This is why we got you. And I was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And I'm thinking, what I'm really thinking is we don't stand a chance. (laughs) You know, and when I tell people that, they're like, really? I'm like, at 39, in all the years of games and experiences I've had, you kind of know what the odds are. And the odds are not in your favor. Right. And so it can be done, and it was done on that particular drive. But... There's, a, there's much more of a likelihood that it doesn't work out, you lose the game, than you win in dramatic fashion. So, after the game, obviously, one of the all-time great wins in, in my career, just based on the circumstances, the first home game as a Viking, you know, starting off just looking like we're destined for the Super Bowl against Cleveland, to all of a sudden now, a polar opposite of the previous week. Yeah didn't have to do anything, quite frankly, didn't even have to throw a pass to every pass you throw that counts. We need it. And so – but after that game, I knew I knew more about our receivers and and, and that we were capable of uh, of doing some things in the passing game uh, that maybe none of us thought we could. Yeah. Um, but I think that really the first and the second Packer game which, which, as you know, was like a Super Bowl, both of them. Uh, and they were good. And we we played offensively about as good as we could play. You guys played as good as defensively. You gave up some points and stuff, but they were good. You know, they were very prolific in the passing game. So you know they're going to give up. You're going to give up some. And um, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't make mistakes and, and kept us in the game because I didn't want my excitement and and – hostility right. or whatever to get the best out of me and and so I did that and after those two games I really thought I said you know this team has a chance I mean we've proven we can win in the big games we've proven we can win when we're supposed to
0: mm. and as I
1: was saying this all the time the mark of a good team is the teams that can win the games they're supposed to and win some of the games that they're not supposed to yeah And I knew we had the the cast, but could we gel together and and fight for one another? And we did all that. But after those two games, I really thought, you know, we can bend but don't break on defense. And we're opportunistic, just like we were in those games. We got a couple of turnovers. We gave up a few points. Mm -hmm. Offensively, we grinded. You know, Adrian in the first game, he gets a fumble. Clay Matthews pulls it out of his hands. You know, the tie turns back to them you know it it was a little bit of everything early on in the year but we overcame and so I knew we we had a chance
0: yeah no that that Greg Lewis back the end zone play that was the play that you alluded to in my mind was that was the play for us as I think as defensive players because we you know you were saying that you didn't know much about our defense and stuff like that but we as defensive players are pretty confident that we were we could be a a pretty damn good defense. So yeah. all we needed was some continuity on offense and we got this thing rolling. And, you know, after that play, you're right. I mean, like Herrera is saying this, we were all thinking on the sidelines, obviously you were thinking it in your own head, but that was the moment. Those are the type of moments that like, we needed a quarterback and a personality that could put us over the top in those situations. And to me, after that, it was like, yeah. And plus the green Bay games mattered because you gotta, you know, you gotta win your division, all that stuff. Um, but that was when we're like, shit, man, we get, we, we stay consistent. We avoid some major injuries and we're going to be all right. So let's, so then like, as we get into uh, that last game of the season against the saints, I know there's been a lot made of bounty gate and all that stuff, but did you feel like during the game that they're taking unnecessary hits or did you feel like it was just a hard physical game? Like, was there a fine line that they were crossing or no? Yeah, you know, it's
1: uh it's funny you asked that. Uh, I I I guess the best explanation or description I can give is uh was with Darren Sharper. And what I mean by that, there were other guys that hit me late. Um not uncommon, you know. I mean it happens sometimes, but it was it was over and over again. Mm-hmm. Didn't really bother me. I don't particularly like it, but what bothered me up until a certain point was that I wasn't getting the flags. I don't want to beg, beg for a flag, but I mean, some are obvious. obvious. Yeah. But two, Sharper had two personal foul rough in the passing. Now, I played with Sharper. You played with Sharper, honestly. Mm-hmm. Right? I played with him. His, his yep. first six or seven years were with me in Green Bay. He was a great safety. He could cover the field. He was, a, you know, it was kind of like an Urlacher, long, mm-hmm. rangy. He wasn't a physical guy. Yeah, he made tackles, but he wasn't a Ronnie Lott type of guy. He wasn't, you know, with with crushing blows, maybe a late hit or two. That's that's kind of Ronnie Lott's deal. Mm -hmm. Sharper was totally the opposite. He was more delicate, cover the field type of guy. He had two personal fouls, one they called, one they didn't. And and fortunately, both were completions. I had Bernard Berry on an out route. I had uh, Percy on the crossing route, but it was a safety blitz. I saw it coming. We didn't have it picked up and I just kind of backpedaled bought all the time. and got it off in time to see sharper, like right there. But I didn't see the c- completion because he hit me in the head. One of them, they called a personal foul. The other one didn't. And I remember getting up after the second one. I'm like sharper. And it, I mean, it, it may have looked like it hurt, but it didn't. But I was like, you never hit anybody. Yeah. Especially late. What's your deal, man? So, but I, it still didn't resonate with me that you know there there was you know everybody wants to take out the opposing quarterback, especially yeah. the ones that that can beat you. Mm-hmm. But you don't. I've been on teams like when I was with Atlanta, it was nothing for Jerry Glanville to get up the team meeting night four and say, "All right, you got five hundred dollars for anybody that takes out more than Anderson." Uh, you know. It wasn't uncommon. You don't really think it was – I laughed it off. You know, uh, maybe it's a joke or whatever. But so I didn't really think about – there was a bounty. I mean, I, that never crossed my mind. But I just thought that it was – I found it odd, not just sharper, but, uh, you know, I threw a pick because I, I got high load in that game. And, I mean, it was I, – saw so I hurt my ankle. And it looked awful. It looked like my leg was broken.
0: And yeah. I didn't care where the
1: ball went. I just got rid of it and got high load. And they didn't throw a flag. It was – and he's looking right at me. I was probably more after the fact, not necessarily in the game, but after the fact, as I look back, I'm like – and I've never been one of these to think that refs are picking sides. But I'm like, how can you miss that? And I, I think it was – uh wasn't Tony Corrente. It was uh, the head ref. Uh, I, uh, the name slips me. But oh, God, I can't remember. The very next series out. He comes up to me before we start the play and says, hey, I missed that call. I'm like, you know, I, I think I said something like, hey, it happens. Right. But there was a, they, they – five, six, seven, eight personal fouls, they call them. Could have called twice that.
0: Yeah. But chose not to, you know. Um, yeah, they, they could have had 200 yards in penalties. Yeah. Sure. I mean, obviously, I think there would have been a point where – Greg Williams would have said, all right, guys, let's let's we're killing ourselves here, or, you know, or maybe not or maybe or maybe not or maybe not. And, and the reason why I was like, I ask is because, you know, I I'm sure you've you've talked a lot about this. I'm sure you've talked to players about it as well on the opposing side. But, you know, the buddies that I had on the team, they're like, dude, we didn't have a pound. They, didn't, they're st- they still deny it. Um, but. I also understand how playoff football is. Playoff football is just different. Yeah. And you've played in a lot of playoff football games, which is the reason why I ask, like, did you feel like it was just a playoff football game or do you feel like it was a little extra? And um, I think that – Yes, means- yes to all
1: of that. You know, and I think when, when people ask me about that game, the one thing I always say is all the, that being said, all the things that happened, good and bad, personal fouls, personal fouls that were not called – I still had an opportunity to win that game for us. And, and we still had a chance in, a, in a, uh, overtime, but I had a chance to, to get five or ten more yards. And in spite of all the personal fouls and all that stuff, I still could have overcame that. Because people like, you know, everyone wants to say, well, if they would have been for Bounty Gate, you would have won the game. Not true. Yeah, I still I, had an opportunity to make a play and I did. not And that's, that's what haunts me more than what they did. So when people want to talk about that's a shame, what they did, I could, I could have quieted all that up, but making a play and that's, that haunts me to this day.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, you know, all, you know, as we look back on that game, there were so many, you know, how games go. I mean, there's, there's things that outside of your control that we could have done better as well. And, and I kind of agree. I, I know that I know that you were on the receiving end of all the the quote unquote Bounty Gate stuff. And look i, I saw your I saw your body after the game. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen bruising and discoloration that quickly after a football game. Tell me about a player. I agree. It was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, man, we had we had we all had opportunities to win the game on defense too. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I know that uh, our time is kind of winding down here, but I did want to touch on the the 2010 season because it, that kind of goes hand in hand in this in your two years with us, how difficult of a decision. And I, I understand that we had to send the the three guys down to your place there in, in Mississippi to kind of convince you. But, like, were you really, really just – when the off season hit, were you done? Were you just mentally and yeah. emotionally checked out? That was it. Physically, I was
1: beat up, but I could overcame.
0: Yeah. But mentally,
1: you know, it was one of those things, and, and I've – I've told people this so many times. I think people can understand. We came so close. And playing up up to that point, 19 years, and being a part of a Super Bowl team, being a part of a losing Super Bowl team, being a part of a lot of championship losses. So being there, it's hard to get there. Mm -hmm. And in year 19, I mean, the meetings, there was the stuff that, the, the physical beating I took against Saint sucked, but it was more the mental, the just the, the the grind to get there, and I knew that there was a lot of expectations upon me when I played, but never there, was there any expectation that I didn't have that exceeded what other people expected of me. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I I knew much was asked of me. I was okay with that because I asked a great deal, so I was going to grind. And, and I knew that there's a lot of factors that go in at the end of the year to the team's success or not. And some I can control, others I can't. And I just didn't know if I... You know, the, it, was a, it was a tug of war. It was like, okay, we came so close. Um, I got beat up, mentally I'm shot. But if I don't go back, I'll always wonder had I gone back, would we have won? Mm. And I, I think that would have haunted me forever if I if I didn't go back. So when people ask me, are you glad you went back? I think the obvious answer that they expect is, no, I wish I wouldn't have gone back because it, it it didn't work out. But just the opposite. I'm glad I went back because the answer was clear. Them. It wasn't to be uh um, you know i think we had four wins five wins i mean the 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 answer was clear cut so i'm glad i went back because more than anything else i I knew that it wasn't to be so yeah
0: you feel like that was one of the more challenging years of your your whole career just that last year yeah no question about it and physically every hit i
1: got seemed like it was the hardest hit i've ever gotten Mm. which you know you would think in the previous 19 years, you could you could say that about a particular season, or I could point to maybe one hit in each year. I mean, I got hit a bunch, but it was like every hit was a crushing blow. Mm-hmm. Get hit in the back with you know Brian McKinney's guy whips him, and you know, and I'm not putting him on the spot. I'm just as an example, an example, yeah. A guy blitzes and I get it out, but he catches me right in the chin. Hutch's guy, which is we're playing in New England. Randy Moss has got a slant to the left on the goal line. Hutch, who never whiffs anyone, whiffs his guy. I see the guy. He hits me in a chin. I get 10 stitches in my chin. I never got stitches in my career. And I don't know if you remember, I came out of the game and I was done. I go in, and I get stitched up, and I remember Doc stitching me up, and I'm like, this has never happened, you know. And then I watched the film, and Randy had it. And we could have won that game. Yeah, Randy had it and just dropped it. I'm like, it just ain't happening, man. You know, yeah, it yeah. just ain't happening. So,
0: yeah, I I remember, you know, you probably don't remember this, but when you came back in 2010, and like I said, you know, we were locker neighbors, and and you looked at me, um, and I was just kind of we we're just kind of making small talk, and you kind of looked at me, and you're like, you you the face that you had was kind of like you you'd kind of gotten off a red eye flight, like you just looked tired. Yeah, and you're like. Man, I don't know if I can do this. And I go, really? And you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know. And you just kind of like, and that, and that to me, you know, was like, look, the utmost res- respect for for every your whole career. But like in that moment, I'm like, oh shit, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. if Brett's not feeling the juice right now, I don't know. And then the then there was a cascade of all the things that just happened in that in that year. I mean, we all laughed that we could all write books about 2010. I mean. You, you can't you came back i mean even just the the process of hutch and those guys going down to grab you was all so dramatic it was like something out of a a, a movie or a, a soap opera you know of
1: him yeah. barging
0: in my room in training camp at 10 10 o'clock at night like we got to go get brett and i'm like <laughs> what like i want to go to bed like what are you talking about you know yeah. it's funny and, when they showed
1: up in the house i was sitting in the kitchen and they walk in, Deanna had known that they were coming, yeah. and uh, a bus major had known they were coming. I didn't know. And we're sitting down on the couch talking or something, and, and they kind of look over my head, you know, like, and I I'm, I turn and look, and I'm like, oh, no, no. Because I knew yeah. I was not, I was going with them, you know. So I had to shift gears right away mentally and say, all right, I got to be all in. And I was, I was, but, uh, uh, and, and another funny story, Rob Brzezinski at the end of the, the first year, man, great job. He said, I don't want to press it. I'm not going to bother you. We want you back. We can make another run. we got all the pieces in place. And he was right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, he said, I'm not going to contact you for a few months. He said, I'm not going to be like Green Bay and badger you. Uh, he said, just go. And he, he, he was awesome. He said, just get away. Mm-hmm. Don't think about football. And hopefully, you know, you come back. So, like, three months later, two or three months later, he, uh, he calls me. Hey, man, how's it going? I said, it's going good, Rob. He said, I don't want to push you. We want you back. Same thing I told you at the end of the year. Uh, he said all the right things, and I said, "Rob, do me a favor. Whatever you do, do not offer me more money." Now, <laughs> Rob starts laughing. He goes, "Now, all my years of negotiating and dealing with players, I've never had a player tell me to not offer more money." And he said, "I'm assuming I know why." He said, "I said, yeah, I, I don't want it to be about money. Yeah, I think they were scheduled to pay me sixteen million. Yeah, which is, you know." a great deal of money, but I didn't and and that was that was tough to not you know go back for. Yeah. So like a month later they offered me I think three or four million more. And I'm like, Rob, you saw you know. Yeah, yeah. But we still laugh about that to this day. He's like, I'll negotiate a a bunch. Never have I had a player say, no more money. Do not offer me no more money. Oh man it wasn't
0: to be. Yeah, it wasn't to be. And uh it's crazy, man. <clears throat> that um to have to have that twenty ten season and your last season in the league end with a a a home game in Detroit, a roof collapse, a a Sunday night football game played in Philadelphia that was that we played on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Um God, oh, we played that. We played that Monday night game against the Bears, in which unfortunately you had a concussion against a, on a frozen field yeah. at TCF Bank Stadium because yeah. of the dome collapse. Like yeah. you, you could. I mean, unfortunately, you couldn't write a worse freaking script for the end of your storied career. <laughs> well, you know, the, the following year,
1: you know, I was out of football, and I remember Deanna. I was outside doing something here on property, and you guys played at San Diego. Opening game. I remember that vividly. I don't remember who played who this past week, but I remember that. It was opening game at San Diego. And she said, hey, the Vikings are on. So I came in and got some lunch. I think Percy or something, maybe returned return to opening kickoff or something for a touchdown. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, but I remember watching a couple series, and I was like, I really don't miss it, you know. Uh, you, you never know what you're going to feel until that mm-hmm. moment. But what I didn't miss is crazy because I, I missed you guys. I missed being in the huddle. Uh, I, but what I didn't miss was the, the trip out there, win or lose. Hanging around, getting back late, getting up the next day, doing it again. Or, God forbid, if the game's on the line and, and you know it's third and fifteen, and we have to have a first down, mm-hmm. um, or, or we're done. I didn't miss that. You know, I so I knew that I'd made the right decision, but, then when people ask all the time, do you miss it? I, I tell them that same thing. I, I miss the guys, but I don't miss the grind though, mm-hmm. you know, and I suppose after 20 years it's to be expected.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's the appropriate answer. And obviously you've taken your lumps, you've got, uh, you, you're beaten up and battered and, you know, twenty years is a long time, dude. Like, obviously, you have nothing to regret. Um, but you're right. I mean, we—I think we all miss the locker room. We all miss the bullshit, and we had some fun. We, we, had, some, we had some fun. Everybody has fun. And then when you when you feel like—and I know this is kind of what you're alluding to—when you when you stop uh, loving the process of the practice, the grind, all that stuff, then it's time to go. Like, you can always get up for a Sunday. Like, yeah, fine, I can get up for a Sunday. But when you stop loving what you do on Monday through Saturday, that's time, man.
1: Yeah. yeah. What people don't realize, I think they do, but they don't, is that the games themselves is three hours mm-hmm. a week. But the amount of hours is uh, unlike baseball, basketball, hockey, where you, you play way more than you practice. Mm-hmm. You don't meet. You, pra- you, don't, you hit BP, you go out and play a game. You, you, you know, yeah, maybe travel gets old, but you're not grinding. You spend all week preparing for three hours. I mean, press conferences, treatment, weights—all. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it that people really don't. If they if they saw what you do every day, mm-hmm. and a lot can go wrong in a game uh, that you can or can't control, and it's like to me, it, it didn't equal out. You know, there was a time where all the work you put into it and in press conferences and the ups and downs uh, were equaled out by the three hours you play, And when you break down three hours, and believe me, I have, the average play lasts three seconds. You know, San Francisco is is – that game is, is, you know, a rare instance where the average offense, the average defense is roughly 75 plays or something in a game. We had 93, all 93 counties. If you say 90, let's just say 90 times three seconds, I mean, we're talking about just a few minutes yeah. that really matter where all this stuff goes into it during the week. And, you know, it, it doesn't – when you break it down, like, really? I only, only actually – fit. and then if you break that down even more for me, oh, the runs I just hand off and I'm doing nothing. So, really, a minute or two really matter.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm like,
1: crap, man. I don't, I don't know if I got it in me to, for two minutes.
0: Yeah. No, it's a, that's a great way to put it. And, and think about this. How many, how many guys' careers, when you look at, let's just say, take, take baseball. Baseball, you take, you know, you're playing 162 games a season. We play 16. Now they play 17. That's without playoffs. If you go on a four or five-game slide, like if you go in a, in a baseball sense, you go into a slump for four or five games – in baseball, it's not, a big, not a big deal. Well, in Baseball, four or five games, whatever. Yeah, I've got, I've got 100, 100 and some more. You got yeah. a four or five game slide in the NFL. They'll replace you. They'll replace you. You're, you're done. You might. Your career might be over. You know, in a in a third of a season. So yeah. Anyway, it's nuts. But hey, man, um, I know we kind of went over on a time here. So, dude, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, good you good too, to man. Up. Good to catch up. Thanks Love for doing days. it. I'm glad you asked.
1: We'll do yeah. it again.
0: Yeah, you uh, you keep keep doing your thing. Get healthy. I know uh, we were kind of talking off air. You kind of dealing with a, a few things here and there, but um, football, you know, football right. and old. They don't they don't go, <laughs> they don't go well together. Yeah, Well, get right, man. Uh, All right, appreciate man. Talking, I agree. I talking with you. You too. See you. Well, that's going to do it for us here at Unrestricted, and man, man, oh man, what a fun conversation, and I am i know that you guys are probably maybe cussing me out a little bit because you're like, Ben, you left so much stuff on the table. You, sh- you should have asked this, or you should have went down this road. I know that, but I didn't have a ton of time, and as you can tell, he's a great conversation. He tells great stories, and um, I really could have talked to him for you know, six or seven hours, I feel like, of, of all the the questions I had, some of the details that I wanted to get into. But nonetheless, I hope you guys really enjoyed the conversation with Brett. I certainly did. I want to thank him for his time. I also want to thank you guys as fans. I've had more and more people reach out, you know, via my my website at com or on the Apple podcast platform. Just with suggestions, some feedback about potential guests coming up. And and yes, as this podcast goes and grows, I do hope to to add more more guests that maybe I don't know personally. And um and there have certainly been some interesting suggestions. So thank you guys for caring enough about this podcast to reach out to me, taking the time to reach out to me, and um, and thank you guys so much for all the five star ratings. Please keep those things coming. And I want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank Yaso and Wells Care, uh, everybody at Wells Care in South Korea for trusting me with their product. They are the world's only hands-free at-home cold laser device. It's a hundred-year technology that's now been patented and perfected to use at home and not in a clinic for all your pain relief needs. So check out wellscare.net or go to bestbuy.com. You can also uh, just type in the keyword IASO, I-A-S-O, in the bestbuy.com search bar and find all the amazing deals at Best Buy. I also want to thank my buddy Pat Kelly and his insurance staff at Wexford Harbor Insurance. I always thought that every insurance was basically the same. And I was, like a lot of cases, very wrong. And I didn't realize that your insurance can be shopped around. To uh, many different companies, and he can do that because he's an independent uh, agency. But I didn't realize how customized and optimized it could be for my family. And if you have a business, you can also reach out to Patna's staff as well. It's Wexford-Harbor.com/unrestricted uh, to reach out to them, and that'll do it. Thank you, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and for supporting. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.